0: Okay. Okay, we're ready. All right. Good morning, everybody. Good, morning. Uh, good to see you on this rainy day. Um, so glad that you pressed through to worship the Lord together. It is a privilege to be here with you, and um, it's such a, such a such a great day. Um, the Bears are playing today, uh, so your prayers are needed. Um, and all I'm asking you um, is because of the weather. How's my hair? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. That's part of the freedom that I have now. That's right. The freedom in Christ. Doesn't matter the weather. I'm good. All right. So what we're doing today is um, we are continuing our series, which has been entitled The Good News According to Luke. The Good News According to Luke. And we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, um, which is again one of the four biographies of Jesus and it was significant because it was written by a man um, out of the four gospels that were written. It was actually written by um, the only non-Jewish man. And so we know that uh, Jesus came as the Jewish Messiah um, to actually bring salvation first to his people and then to the whole world. Um, But what's interesting about Luke is that Luke represented the rest of the world that uh, Jesus came to redeem and to save. And so Luke gives an interesting perspective of how to um, receive the good news of Jesus in the midst of even not having grown up around the things of the faith. And so um, today what we're doing is we're going to um, actually continue the uh, series by talking about um, how to properly understand and receive the love of God through understanding his authority understanding the love of God by actually understanding his authority in our lives and it's an important concept to get and it's one that's often missed if you actually spent any time culturally um, in the Christian world because we have often referenced Jesus as our Savior when we put our faith in him which is right and true but we've not also uh, referenced him as our Lord Um, but in the midst of the inaugural sermon that Peter preached after the resurrection of Jesus we see that He said that Jesus, it said clearly that God has made this Jesus who we crucified and we all participated in that because of our sin. We made, God made this Jesus who we crucified both Lord and Christ, Lord and Christ and the two are inextricably bound, right? So meaning that if Jesus is going to be my Christ and my Messiah, he's got to be my Lord. But conversely, if Jesus is my Lord, the good news is he also paves the way to be my savior. Amen? Okay, so with that in mind, we're gonna focus on this statement today, that we must recognize the authority of Christ to properly understand how to receive and live in the love of Jesus. We must recognize the authority of Christ to properly understand how to receive and to live in the love of Jesus. And so we're gonna break the message down into three parts today we're going to talk first about the authority of Christ we're going to talk secondly about misunderstanding Christ and then finally we're going to talk about being forgiven much to actually love Christ being forgiven much to actually love Christ and so let's pray Father we thank you so much for your word to us today and we thank you that you've given it to us that we might properly not only understand you but encounter you God, we want nothing more than to not only be hearers of the word, but also those who are doers of the word and experience, Father, all the realities and the promises of your word by being faith-filled, obedient children. And so, God, we're asking you today that you would unpack your word to us and help us to understand both your authority and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today, if you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, and we're going to start by talking about the authority of Christ and we're going to start by understanding this concept that we can miss God's healing. We can miss God's healing when we do not embrace, embrace the authority of Jesus in our lives. That Jesus is intent on healing us from the scourge of sin. He's intent on healing us from the consequence of sin in our lives, whether it be sin that we've committed or sin that's been committed against us. But to bring us into that healing, that complete healing, we've got to recognize his authority and It says this in uh, chapter 7, verse 1. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he, meaning Jesus, entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. And I love all the adjectives and the terminology that God uses whenever he's talking about his encounters with people because not only is this centurion in this story highly valued by uh, this the centurion's servant, highly valued by the centurion, but it's also going to reflect God's value that he places on our lives. And it says, when the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him to the elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word. God, simply say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. I love that, right? For all the things that you want to have in your relationship with God, wouldn't you like to be a person that God himself marvels at and says, my goodness, this is somebody that is set apart in my sight. I marvel at their faith. He says, because... I tell you, not even in Israel, where they've had the law of God all their lives, have I found such faith. You have to understand, this centurion was a Roman Roman ruler. He was a Roman military commander, meaning that he was part of the Gentile people, not part of those who grew up around the faith. And Jesus marveled at his faith, saying, my goodness, he understands something that my people who've been around the things of God all their lives don't. He understands something about my nature and how to interact with me that those who've heard it all their lives don't. And when those who had been sent sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only one of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, it's beautiful, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he's talking to the dead boy. Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So what we see is that God Almighty, whenever we are understanding God and what he wants to do in our lives, we can see a lot about this particular passage of Scripture. We can see that, of course, we all know that we've all encountered or been exposed to authority that was mishandled or misused, whether it be in our families, whether it be in government, whether it be in religious circles, whether it be by our bosses who control our futures and our paychecks. We understand that authority mishandled is always a bad thing. Yet the authority that Jesus wields is ultimately good and can always be trusted because it leads to eternal benefit and not harm. How many people would say amen to that? That the authority of Christ can actually be trusted. And authority is usually considered a bad word in our generation. How many people know that in our generation, a lot of people like to buck against authority and almost consider it a badge of honor if they have no authority in their lives? That ultimately, they're their own authority, and they're the final arbiter of what's right and wrong and what's true in their lives. But Jesus is ultimately saying, listen, authority, as God defined it, is actually a good thing. It's actually a healthy thing. It is actually something that leads to eternal benefit and good when it's authored by the hand of God. And though following God-centered leadership can lead to momentary pain, think about even Jesus in his own life, following the authority of the Father, which ultimately led him to the cross. He was obedient to the point of death, and it caused him momentary pain. It always leads to a lasting good for you and others, And you can think, of course, about the resurrection of Jesus on the other side of that momentary pain. And the truth is is that whether now or at the resurrection, Jesus invites you to experience his healing. Whether now or at the resurrection, Jesus uh, invites you to experience his healing. And that's good news for not just the people in Scripture, not just the man or the woman to your right or to the left, but for you. But for you. God seeks you out just as he sought out that person who had died, that young man who had died and stopped the funeral procession and said, I desire to show my compassion. And he also responds to prayers just like he was responding to the request of the centurion who came to ultimately heal. So whether now or at the resurrection, Jesus wants to express his kindness and compassion to you in healing. How many people can say amen to that? Jesus showed this when he chose to raise not only the woman's son, but actually he was foreshadowing the ultimate glories to come as we return to him in repentance and faith. Now, healing, it's often a question, healing. Healing can be supernaturally instantaneous, and that's good news in the life that we live now, right? That God says in his word that the psalmist said that, surely I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, right? That there's something of the goodness of God that I can see in the land of the living. I don't have to just wait for the sweet by and by before I experience the goodness of God, right? But it can be supernaturally instantaneous or it can also be a process as we are transformed by the ongoing visitation and indwelling of the third person of the Trinity, not the Father, not the Son, but the Holy Spirit who actually is continually working in and among us. And the reason why that's true is because, as Jesus would later say it as his resurrection, all authority, not just some authority, but all authority. Everybody say all with me. All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus. That means he's in charge of everything that we see, everything that we encounter, everything that we walk through. Authority belongs to God. And it might seem that life is out of control for you in certain aspects at certain times in your life. But God says authority is ultimately always in his hands. And all authority belongs to him. And because all things that have been made were made through him. This is what John the Apostle said in John 1.3. All things that have been made were made through him, and nothing that's been made was made except through him. It means he is the final arbiter of what is right and wrong in terms of how all aspects of life should be lived and best function. So when Jesus not only says, I have compassion for you, and I want to show you how to live, we can trust his authority because he knows how it's best lived. In every area of our life, his authority speaks to our relationships with our family members, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, with the world at large. His authority can be trusted. And Jesus having all authority means that there is nothing in the physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual world that will not submit to him when he intervenes. You hear that? And that's a big deal. That's a big deal because when I get older, my body, I've got to stretch a whole lot more than I used to. Anybody with me now? I I used to run around the court like a rubber band. People would throw me to the ground, I'd bend, and I'd spring right back up. Now if I fall to the ground, I might be there for a while (laughs) and say, go on without me. The Lord loves you, right? You fulfill your call and destiny. The truth of the matter is, is that it's good news that God has authority one day at the resurrection over my physical body that right now is perishable and one day will be resurrected, glorified. It's good news in the midst of the discussion of mental health. And all that we've been through the past two and a half years in the pandemic, where people are trying to get their footing underneath them again and trying to get their bearings and their awareness of how to live life again, it's good news that Jesus has authority over my mental state. That Jesus has authority over my emotional state. Anybody ever feel like a wave tossed by the wind? Back and forth, it's like you get up and you just start crying and you don't know why. Anybody ever been there before? Anybody there right now? It's okay. We got you. God's authority is over all of these things. God's authority comes to intervene, heal, and change our lives, but we've got to learn to submit to it. When Jesus expresses his authority... It's to put right things in order for the Father's glory and ultimately for your good. For the Father's glory and ultimately for your good. So if he's commanding something of you, it's ultimately going to be first that which glorifies and honors God. But we also see when God commands something that glorifies God, it ultimately, because of his nature, leads you to good. And so this applies not just to this world, but to the world around us that doesn't yet know God. Does everybody believe that as well? If God is the creator of all things and all humanity is subject to him, then when God gives commands that even cut against people's will, their convictions, or how they are choosing to live at this present moment, His authority that he's calling people under, his lordship that he's calling people under, ultimately will lead to their good and their healing. And that's important, especially when you're living in a world that does not yet submit to the law or the word of God. Because have you ever addressed a family member, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor who didn't agree with your convictions, your biblical convictions, and you almost say to yourself, I don't want to do anything that might offend them. I don't want to say anything that might cut against the way they've chosen to live. Yes, I know they're bound up, they're tormented, they're living in a life that's ultimately leading to destruction, but I don't want to offend them because ultimately I think that by contradicting their convictions, it will lead to somehow their harm. But what God's saying is even when you contradict or offend those that you love, if it's incongruent with the word of God, this is the essence of discipleship. And Jesus said it leads to their healing and their good. You've got to embrace this, people of God. Because we've siloed our faith in such a way that it almost becomes ineffectual because rather than having an awareness that he who lives in us is greater than the one who lives in the world, you're continually being pushed back into a defensive position trying to hold on to the simplicity of your faith, saying it's not for anyone else, it's just for me. And as long as I can hold on, Christian, Christian hold on, right? Hopefully I'll get to Jesus someday. But all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. And it's good not just for you, but it's good for everybody and everything that he's made. And it will lead to healing for everybody if they choose to submit and believe him. We need to embrace the authority of Jesus again if we're to receive healing in our lives. But I'll break it down even a little bit more and say, why does this matter to our daily interactions? Well, the truth is is that many of you are here and have already embraced the call of God and want to, at some point, lead well. How many people would like to not just love God, but eventually lead well, too? Lead well. But if you're ever to learn to lead well, you need to first learn what it means to be under authority and what it means to follow. That's what the centurion got. He said, Jesus, I am so confident in your word and your authority to heal me, my servant, because I understand authority myself. I'm a man who's under authority with others who are submitted to my authority. I tell one, go, and he goes. I tell another one, come, and he does it, right? And so, Jesus, I have such confidence in your word now that I know That at your word, because you have all authority in your word, you can heal my servant. Not even by showing up in the room, but by just simply sending forth your word because everything that exists will submit to that word. And so I understand healing because I understand your authority. And some of us need to understand that God's word, no matter what you feel like, maintains the same authority that it would whether you felt the willies and the heebie-jeebies. How many people have ever been like me before and based your walk with God on you feeling the presence of God? (laughs) Right? I feel God today. Oh, I feel his nearness. Oh, I feel God and how he's shown his love and concern and care for me. Does God do that? Yes. The Bible says draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But what happens when you don't feel him drawing near even when you are? Does that mean his word is no longer true? Or does that mean that the reality of his word is still true regardless of how you're feeling? And that you can be changed by that word when you're reading it if you believe it, regardless of what you're feeling. You see, that's what we need to embrace. I have got my confidence, not in how I feel, but the authority, the reality, the truth of God's word in my life. And if I want healing, if God says he's going to heal me, whether now or at the resurrection, it's coming for me, baby, no matter how I feel, no matter what I'm experiencing in this moment, God's promises and his word are always true and his authority is going to affect my reality if I continue to put my trust in it no matter how I feel in this moment. And the beauty of having people around you is that they can remind you of that truth. The truth is is there are countless stories of people who are independent, damaged wanderers who don't yet know how to build the kingdom in their lives but scatter amidst ongoing acts of theatrical disappointments because they don't submit to God's word nor do they allow anyone else to speak the word of God to them so that they can be helped and healed by that authority this is what Proverbs says Proverbs 17 19 it says whoever loves transgression meaning doing what's wrong even when you know to do something different loves strife and he who makes his door high seeks destruction So many times we're like, listen, I'm such an independent contractor in my faith that I won't allow anybody to speak the word of God to me unless I get it myself from the mouth and the hand of God Then it's not true. Anybody ever been there before? Unless God himself parts the heavens and says, this is my son, my beloved son, with him I'm well pleased like he did with Jesus, right? There's no way God can direct me. And I build up a high wall keeping the authority of God out because no one could speak to my li- into my life unless it comes from the mouth of God itself. God says that's actually going to invite destruction into our lives. Proverbs 16, I'm sorry, Proverbs 18, verses 1 and 2 says, whoever isolates himself, whoever isolates himself, whoever isolates himself, whoever isolates himself seeks his, not God's desire, but his own desire. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, and he breaks out against all sound, meaning healthy judgment. Independence is not wise. Interdependence is. Codependence is not healthy, but interdependence in the life of God, is good. You get the differences between those things? Because in our American culture, we value what? Independence, right? Independence. And independence means I don't need you, you don't need me, and if it's going to be, it's up to me, (laughs) right? But when you look at the ways of God, God builds differently, and he says, don't rage against all sound and healthy judgment in your life because you isolate yourself. He also says in verse 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding but only in expressing his opinions. Ooh. Does that convict anybody in here besides me? A fool takes no... A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only delights in airing his own opinions. Guess what? When I'm submitted to the authority of God, my opinions don't count so much. But if I'm going to come into his healing, I've got to submit to what he says is right and true. What his opinion is. How many people know that God has an opinion over, in regards to every area of your life? Okay, well, if that, you've not realized that before, let me tell you that's true. <laughs> he says you are God's workmanship if you're in Christ, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he's prepared in advance for you to do. That means my life is not my own. I've been bought at a price. Therefore, I'm to honor God, not myself, but God with my body. But I'm not going to go that way if I'm only airing my own opinions. And the question then becomes, whose spiritual authority have you acknowledged in your life to help mold you, shape you, and ultimately heal you? Whose? Because if you've not identified it, you might be falling into the camp of the people of the Proverbs. Right? But we live that way because we have a misunderstanding of Christ. Luke 7. Let's go back there. We relate with God, his church, and the world well when we properly understand Jesus. It says in verse 18, the disciples of John reported all these things to him meaning all the things that Jesus was doing. And John, calling two of his disciples, said to him, Are you the one who is to come? Are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another? We've been hearing about this Messiah who's coming. You the Messiah? And we... When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, and shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight, and he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. Go tell John what you have seen and heard. When people submit to me, the blind receive their sight. The lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? That's a good question, even for us today, right? When you're coming to Jesus, what did you come to see? What did you think you would get when you came to him? What did you think you would get when you actually encounter him? Did you think you would just get somebody who's like a lucky rabbit's foot or a genie in a bottle that you could rub the bottle and anything that you desired? ultimately you would get because you attached God to whatever you wanted to do. What did you think you would see when you came to him? And he skips down to verse 29. I like this. He goes on and keeps talking about what Jesus actually came to do, and he says this in verse 29. When all the people heard what John was saying and the tax collectors too, they declared God just when they understood that he had a plan and authority to enact in their lives. And they declared just God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. Meaning John came baptizing with water, declaring the message of Jesus, saying this is a baptism of repentance. And if anybody hasn't been baptized in water for repentance since you've given your life to Jesus, let me tell you, you need to do so because it's a baptism of changing your mind from being your own Lord or Master and going in a different direction, saying, Jesus, you're Lord of my life now. And it said that when they heard John coming on behalf of Jesus, preaching that word, they received the word and were baptized. But something interesting, let's leave that scripture up there. But the Pharisees and the lawyers... Who were the Pharisees? They were the religious leaders. Who were the lawyers? They were the experts in the law. Those who could chop it up and explain it to everybody. Oh, they knew it back and forth, right? Forward and backward. So they thought they knew it all. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. Has anybody ever read that before? Who's I'm just curious, who's actually noticed that before? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because what? They weren't baptized by John. Why was that so important? These religious leaders were rejecting God's purpose for themselves because ultimately they weren't submitting to To his authority. John was pointing to Jesus saying, Listen, this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the Savior. This is what he said to do. Identify with him by dying with him that you might also be raised. And they said, I'm rejecting the purpose of God for myself because I refuse to submit to that man's authority. Do you see that? And so ultimately, the question is, what are we supposed to do? We're to get a new perspective on Jesus and his authority. Let's throw out some of these pictures. These are the images I want you to take home. A lot of times what you see is that in actually receiving the authority of Jesus, do we have the pictures? No? Oh, there you are. Okay. How many people have seen No Way Home? Okay. This is the Daily Bugle. And it's a report about Spider-Man. How many people know that in the movie, Spider-Man was supposed to be good? But J. Jonah Jameson, J. Jonah Jameson, what did he do? He was continually on the attack against who? Not the Green Goblin. And I love this picture because it actually reminds me that Jesus comes to dropkick the devil in the face, right? (laughs) Green Goblin looking like a demon, okay? So here's the thing. He says, Spider-Menace attacks again. Next picture. He's reporting. You remember this? Spider-Boy, your days are numbered. Next one. Spider-Man is an evil psychopath, abusing powers. Next one. Mysterio is the real hero. Spider-Man is a big zero. Sound a lot like how people respond to faith and the authority of Christ in our culture. He came to... Cause harm, not good. But Jesus said, I've come that I might destroy the devil's work and set people free to actually heal them and put them on the path of God's purpose, glorious eternal purpose for their lives. But to do so, they need to rework and un- misunderstand- their misunderstandings of Jesus. And I love what Oswald Chambers said when he said, Jesus Christ can afford to be misunderstood. We cannot, though. Our weakness lies in always wanting to vindicate ourselves. Don't, don't misunderstand me, right? Oh, I'm not trying to step on your toes. I don't mean to offend you, right? Jesus was okay with being misunderstood, right? What did they say? He's a friend of tax collectors and sinners, drunkards, right, and gluttons. But Jesus said in that same passage we were just re- reading, but wisdom is proved right by her actions, Wisdom is proved right by her actions. You will know the goodness of God by seeing what he did, by seeing what he does in other people's lives. And that's why, let me tell you, people of God, your testimony is so important. You need your testimony to go far and wide, telling people what God has done in you, for you, through you. You need to testify. Has God been good to anybody in here? then you need to testify so that wisdom can be seen right by his actions. I'm talking to other people about the healing that God wants to bring in their lives. Why? Because God has healed me. God has healed members of my family. God has healed friends of mine. God has brought people who are adamant opponents to the gospel of God, to faith and repentance, and now I'm like, listen, and he can heal you too. Wisdom is proved right by her actions when we reorient our understanding of God. And ultimately, when we get that, forgiveness is what we have stamped on us for our healing. Last point, forgiveness is how we understand Jesus and instead of just being religious, cultural cultural people who just feel obligatory restraints, going through the motions day after day, week after week, a lifeless religion. Do you know that Jesus not only loved you, but ultimately wants love in return from you? Do you define your relationship with God as a love relationship? Not just a relationship that you're obligated to, but a love relationship. Does that that hopefully reorient some of your thinking? See, I love my wife. I don't have to come home to her. I want to come home to her. I want to come home to my kids. I love them. And with God, when we come to worship, are you doing it just because your mom got you on the phone this morning and said, are you going to church today? Anybody have prepared like that? <laughs> okay. I'm going to check on you. And you can feel their avatar right next to you. More than that, God's saying, I want a love relationship with you. And when you really understand what he's done for you at the cross, then it reorients everything because it's based on the forgiveness of Christ. Let's end here. It's Luke chapter th- um, 7, verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, one of the religious leaders, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, who was a sinner, when she le- um, learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her ha- the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Does that seem like a strange scene to anybody? Be honest, not just because it's in the Bible. <laughs> Okay, you'd be like, well, no, of course, it seems completely appropriate, (laughs) right? How many people know if that happened in our context, that would seem strange? Be honest now. Don't be all holy. Listen, you'd be like, what's she doing? (laughs) Why is she at Jesus' feet? I mean. Now, when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... If Jesus were really a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 in RIM unit of money and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Remember, it's not just raining, my feet are drenched today, but like it's like it was actually dirty, dusty roads and the sandals, right? Anybody wear Birkenstocks in here? Okay, it was the sandals that Jesus was wearing on those dirty, dusty roads. And he said, Since I came in, You didn't offer me anything for my feet to clean my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil. But she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he, or she, who was forgiven little, loves little. And it's not for us that we aren't forgiven much, or need to be forgiven much. It's our awareness of how much we need to be forgiven. You get that? It wasn't that the Pharisees were so much better than this woman, but it was that they had, she had an awareness. I'm a sinner. See, when I came to Jesus, nobody had to convince me I was going to hell. Nobody. <laughs> People would come up to me in the midst of my pagan days, and they would say, hey, Rollin, you know if you do that, you're going to hell. I was like, I know. Rollin, if you keep that up, you're going to hell. (laughs) I know. I just didn't know how to get out. So whenever Jesus came to me and Jesus was actually being preached to me by someone like John the Baptist, and I heard about the cross, and I heard about repentance, that I could actually turn away from my sin, be set free from my sin, made a new creation in Jesus, and actually be healed from all the mistakes that I made before, it was good news to me. It was good news to me. And so I ran to the cross, and I was like, yes, Jesus changed me. Yes, Jesus healed me. And you know, after that point, because I knew how much I needed to be forgiven, Lord knows nobody could stop me from loving Jesus. I will look foolish in the sight of other people just for the sake of showing him my love. And if you've ever been in a love relationship, a real love relationship before, let me tell you, how many people know when you're in a real love relationship, you look foolish sometimes, <laughs> right? People start talking to you. Have you lost your mind? I have because I'm in love, (laughs) right? (laughs) Because I'm in love. And that's the same thing that Jesus wants out of your life for him. He says, be foolish in the eyes of the world that you might actually be wise in the sight of God because you understand his authority. You understand what he's done for you at the cross and in repentance and faith, you've come to him to be made forever new and then eventually forever healed. But he who's forgiven little, or thinks they've been forgiven little, loves little. Don't be that man or woman. Love him much. And from this point forward, let your relationship with the living God who wants to heal you be a love relationship. Not just an obligatory, mundane interaction where you can barely get yourself out of bed to open the word. It's like love him as he's loved you. And you'll love him more when you think about how much he's done for you. In Jesus' name, amen? amen? All right, so let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for your word to us. And I thank you that you've given it to us that we might not only know you, but love you as you've loved us and be healed. And God, we, we just remember that your authority Is actually good today your authority comes to not only father subjugate us but to father elevate and to lead us into life and truth and ultimately what's for your glory and our good and so God today I'm asking that every man and woman in here would have a new perspective on your authority that father they would submit to that authority And, Father, that they would come into the healing that's really represented by your authority. In Jesus' name, God, may we take you at your word. Father, may we take you at your word and begin to look to the truth of not only who you are, but what you want to continually do in our lives as we trust you. I'm just going to pray for anyone in here today specifically about this issue of authority. I know many of us have been hurt by authority in our lives. And even when we hear the word father, that God wants to be a good father to us, it's a foreign concept because we've not known a good earthly father in our lives. We've not known good authorities in our lives. And God wants to bring some healing to those things, starting in a process like now. And if there's anyone who says, you know what, I've been, I found it difficult in my life to trust God's word, his authority, or the authority of others because of the ways that I've been damaged by authority, but I want healing in that area. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Okay, good. Anyone else? Okay. It's understandable because we live in a fallen world. Lord, I pray that you would heal my brothers and sisters in this moment. God, that you would heal them and bring them into your protective care. That you would reorient the understanding of that what you're in charge of and that what you say to do, that it always leads to what's not only righteous but good, what's healthy, and what brings the fruit of the Spirit, peace, and the promise of eternal life. God, I pray that you would unplug the janks in our souls. help us look not to the disappointments we've experienced but also and more than that to your goodness found in your word and I pray again by the Holy Spirit you're to release healing healing in this moment that they would see how you would have handled things and how you do do things and that there would be a new trust that rises up in the hearts of the men and women in this place to follow you and everything you say and in all your ways I pray that you would even give healing to their relationships, not just with you, but others. That they might begin to receive the word of God, not just from your lips or the pages of the scripture, but also from the mouths of people like John the Baptist in their lives. That none of us would reject your purpose for our lives, but that, God, we would come fully into your call. In Jesus' name, amen. And if there's anyone, keep your eyes closed. If there's anyone in here who says... You know what? I've, I've never, ever, ever submitted to the authority of Jesus in my life. I've heard about him being Savior, but the truth is I've never submitted to him as Lord. I've never repented of my sin, and I've never put my trust in Jesus and what he did at the cross for me. But today I want to do that. I want to say, Jesus, you're, you're going to be Lord of my life today. I trust you, and I'm asking you to make me new. If that's you in here and this is your moment, I want you to raise your hand. We'd like to pray for you. Is there anyone at all? Anyone at all? Don't miss these moments. These are moments God prepares for us. And just like in the time of Jesus, he says, we have visitations from the Lord. Every time we come together in his name, he said he's here with us to meet us, touch us, and change us. So anyone who says, I need to submit to him today. Father, I pray that, Father, anyone in here by the Holy Spirit who needs you, who needs to be changed by you, Father, you would do it today in a powerful and real way. They would leave this place changed. They would leave this place never the same. And, God, you would teach them how to walk in your freedom and healing from this point forth. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, now you can open your eyes. So what we're going to do is we're going to go back into a time of worship now honoring the one who's loved us and we're going to have a moment of communion so if you've never taken communion before again it'll be explained to you and we're going to participate in the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus for us and then we're going to go out celebrating God who loves us so amen all right you can rise to your feet